0: Hey, good morning, church family. How's everyone doing this morning? You good? Yes. Hey, my name is Jason Jackson. If you are new or newer or visiting with us today, we want to welcome you to New Life Downtown. If you're watching online, we welcome you as well, hope that you're doing All right, and that you're able to join us here in person at some point in the new future. If you are new or newer, we'd love to get a chance to meet you, hear a little bit of your story. Uh, We'd love for you to take a moment and fill out a guest card. There's a QR code here on the screen as well as at tables out in the lobby. you would fill that out sometime this morning, either before or after the service, or during uh, this moment, and then stop by our welcome area after uh, we're done with our service here. We'd love to meet you and give you a gift and uh, just answer any questions that you might have about our service. You will find during our service kind of a unique blend of things. We are uh, a non-denominational charismatic church, and so we are open to the Spirit and worshiping with our whole hearts, and we're deeply rooted in the practices of the faith. So we come to the table every week in worship. Our lives have a tendency to be pretty disorienting for us. Uh, when we leave here on Sunday, sometimes that disorientation begins as we hear stories and troubles and concerns and things that are going on that we're not sure what to do with. And sometimes we can forget who we are in the middle of that, or we forget whose we are. We forget what the great story is that holds all of human history together. And so this morning, as we're gathered in worship, I want us to recite the Creed together as a way of reminding ourselves of the God that we serve and the story that that he's telling and the great redemption that he's enacting through Jesus. So the words will be up here on the screen. Let's say the creed together this morning. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, but on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Let's worship the God who raises the dead.
1: from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill moved for good, for the Lamb had conquered death. And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe, for the souls of all who'd come to the Father are restored. And the church of Christ was born, and the Spirit lit the flame gospel, truth, love, oh. it shall not deal, it shall not pain, by his blood and in his name, oh, it's free freedom, I am free, for the love of Jesus Christ, who has the
2: that chorus one more time together. Praise the Father. you up, Lord. Amen, amen. It's good to see you, church. It's good to see you, family. It's good to have Abby Burley back with us. Some of you guys remember Abby from the early days of downtown. She leads our Friday night uh, congregation out. But uh, we want to teach you a new song this morning. It's a song based out of Matthew 16, when Jesus is sitting with his disciple Peter at Caesarea Philippi. And he asked him a question. He says, who do you say I am? It's a really profound question. Who do you say I am? There were a lot of people in that time in that place that were calling Jesus Elijah, a prophet, a wonder worker, or John the Baptist, right? But Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? I think that's an important question that we all have to kind of face at some point or another. Who do we say that Jesus is? In our culture, there's a lot of constructs around Jesus, right? Jesus could be the wise man who said a lot of wise things. He could be a good person, a compassionate person who helped a lot of people who were in need, and we learn a lot from him. Some people may even believe that he was a prophet or he was a healer on some level, but at some point, we have to answer the question, who is this Jesus? Who is he really? And Peter, And Matthew 16 looks back at Jesus and he says, you are the Messiah. And Jesus says, blessed are you because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Your father in heaven, he's revealed it to you. And so that's what this song's about. I wanna teach the chorus. It's pretty simple. Let's try this together.
1: Jesus, Son of God and Savior, Alpha and Omega, the Messiah. Holy, highest name in heaven. King of all creation, the Messiah. That's
2: all there is to that chorus. Let's try this together.
1: Who do we say? we say he is. Some say just a prophet and some say just a man. But who do we say he is? Here we go. Jesus, Son of God and
2: try this together.
1: Who have we come to praise? Who have we come to praise? Some say we are foolish and some won't understand. But who have we come to praise?
2: one last time together. Jesus.
1: Jesus. I deep
2: Together we say,
1: I, I did- Now from a heart good that we can rely on you, that we can depend on you. How good that your steadfast love never fails. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, right? His mercies are new every day. We fix our eyes. Let's sing this together. Amazing love.
0: In one of his many conversations Jesus struck up with people, he had a conversation about the goodness of God and this group of people he was talking with. He said, "If you who know how to give good gifts to your kids, if you know how to do that, how much more how much more will your good father in heaven give good things to those who ask? How much more Would you open up your hands today? I wanna take just a moment to ask. To ask the good father for good things. Maybe you're here today and you've been asking for something for a while and it's just the risk of asking again. Maybe you're here and you've never asked God for anything before. You're new to faith or thinking about faith and you're like, I just don't, don't know how to do this. To and say, "God, if you're good, would you show me? God, if you're real, would you reveal yourself? Maybe there's something that happened this week or something that's going on in a loved one's life. Would you ask God today to create just a moment here? ask him again. God, we ask for hope today because, God, you're so good. We ask for healing today. Oh, God, you're so good. We ask for joy today. Oh, God, you're so good. We ask for peace today. God, you're so good.
3: We ask for presence
0: today. In the midst of our loneliness and our despair and our doubt and our uncertainty. Oh God, you're so good. We ask you to speak today. Oh God, you're so good. We ask for comfort today. Oh God, you're so good. We ask for provision today. Oh God, you are so good. We ask for all of these things that are being named by every single one of us in this room today on our behalf and on behalf of others. And we're asking God because we believe that you are so good and help us with our unbelief about that. Sometimes it's just really hard to ask Sometimes it's hard to wait. Sometimes it's hard to ask again. But we're convinced that, God, you're so good. Let's sing that chorus one more time together as we hold these prayers, these asks. We trust that your plans, your intentions, your desires, your hopes, your dreams, your will for us is good. Remind us, show us your goodness once again today. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated as we continue in worship today. One of the things that we do together is we sing songs to help us orient ourselves to the divine life of God, and we find ways to participate in the common life of one another, the common life of the church. One of the ways we do that is by sharing the resources that God has blessed us with with one another through tithes and offerings. There's four ways you can give. Give online or via the app. You can give uh, through the boxes in the back of the room. If you're watching online, you can give through the mailbox. Would you say goodbye to our middle schoolers as they head off to middle school today? Middle schoolers, we love you. Have a great time this morning. Thanks for joining us in worship. And now let's settle our hearts, still ourselves once again and come to the God who speaks today through his spirit and through his scriptures and ask him to speak to us in Jesus' name.
3: Hello, my name is David. The Old Testament reading is found in 1 Kings 11, 43 through 12:4. Then Solomon lay down with his ancestors. He was buried in his Father David's city, and Rehoboam, his son, succeeded him as king. Rehoboam went to Shechem, where all Israel had come to make him king. When Jeroboam, Nebat's son, heard the news, he returned from Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. The people sent and called for Jeroboam, who along with the entire Israelite assembly went and said to Rehoboam, Your Father made our workload very hard for us. If you will lessen the demands your Father made of us and lighten the heavy workload He demanded from us, then we will serve you. The Word of the Lord.
1: Hello, my name is Eddie. The New Testament reading is found in Galatians. Chapter 5 verses 13 through 15 You were called to freedom brothers and sisters only don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge yourselves oh indulge your selfish impulses but serve each other through love all the love all the law has been fulfilled in a single statement. Love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour each other, be careful that you don't get eaten up by each other. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Callie. If you're able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Matthew 11:28 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Put on my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble, and you will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. The gospel of the Lord.
0: Please remain standing with me as we pray today. This week I um, kept praying an old hymn that just kept coming up. You ever have those moments where these songs just kind of get stuck in your head on the loop? So I thought, well, let's sing it together for our prayer. Some of you will know this song, some of you will not. It's about the spirit of the living God falling on us again. Asking the Spirit to encounter us even as we read the text. And then the the line says, uh, melt us. It's a way of asking God, all those places in us that are hardened or misshapen, would you soften them in us by your Spirit? And then it goes on to say, melt us and mold us. Would you form us? Would you fashion us, restore us into the image of God? And then fill us. Would you fill us with your Spirit? and use us. Would you set us into our vocation as image bearers in the world to proclaim your kingdom to everyone. So because I can't sing um, and I love you so I won't do that to you I ask these guys to stay up and lead us uh, in singing this song together.
1: Spirit of the living God for
0: you may be seated. You sound good, New Life Downtown. And of course, Abby. Like, yeah, we would always rather hear you sing than me at any point, any day, any time. Well, it's good to see you this morning. Good morning, everyone. Welcome once again to those of you who are new or newer. Thank you for joining us and visiting us this morning. And if there's any way that we can help you get connected into the life of this family, please, please, please let one of us know. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Or maybe even a better question, who do you go to when you don't know what to do? When you find yourself at a crossroads or at an important juncture in life, when there's a decision to be made, when there's something to be discerned, who do you go to to ask for advice? And then what do you do if you get differing suggestions? What do you do if this group says one thing and another group says another? Whose advice do you follow in those moments when you have a decision to make and it seems like there's dissonance in the choir of voices and recommendations? How do you discern the voice of God in the middle of all the voices of other people? That's the situation that we find in today's text. We're in a fall series called Kings and Kingdoms. Where we're reading through first kings together. And today we're turning our attention from King Solomon to his son Rehoboam. And after his father Solomon dies, we pick up almost immediately Rehoboam goes up to Shechem to be made king, to have some sort of public installation ceremony. And there while he's having his moment in the sun, finally becoming king, there's a man named Jeroboam that approaches him to advocates on behalf Of the people. Who is this Jerry that kind of shows up in this moment in time? Well, at the end of Solomon's reign, we are introduced to Jeroboam. Jeroboam is a significant opponent of Solomon's, typically or largely because there's a prophet who encounters Jeroboam at one point along the way, and he says to Jeroboam, Hey, by the way, Solomon, because of all of his rebellion, because of all of his misdeeds, because of all the things that he's doing that are against the ways of God, his kingdom's going to get torn apart. It's going to get torn into two. And you, Jerry, are going to become a king as well. Solomon's going to get to keep part of the kingdom, but you're going to get the rest. And you can imagine when Solomon heard this, he wasn't quite thrilled of, you know, a theological coup d'etat happening right in the middle of his kingdom. And so he did what Solomon typically does in these moments, is he tried to kill him. You know, what better way to get rid of the opposition than just to get rid of the opposition? So Jeroboam finds out about the plan, and he runs away to Egypt until he's called back. His journey reminds us of the same journey that another king will take for the same reason about 2,000 years later, needing to flee to Europe Or to flee to Egypt, not to Europe. That's what we're thinking about doing today is wondering, like, (laughs) when do we all get to go to Europe? Uh, Some of you are watching from Europe right now. We, you know, feel sorry for you. Uh, (laughs) The same king takes another journey several thousand years later. But Jeroboam goes to Rehoboam and says this. He says, your dad, he made our workload very very hard and heavy for us. If you will lessen the demands, not eliminate, just lessen. If you'll lessen the demands your father made of us and lighten the heavy workload that he demanded from us, then we will serve you. We'll continue to do all of the things. We'll come into alignment with those things. But just can you make them a little bit lighter than what they were? This word workload that's being discussed here in the original language is the word yoke. Would you make our yoke less heavy? He's probably talking about Solomon's policies, either of taxation, of saying, hey, in order to accomplish all of these things that I have these grand plans for, I need you to pay all of these taxes or all of these tributes. Or he's referring to Solomon's practice of forced labor to begin to build all of those things or both. Solomon, as we've seen over and over again, is the king of contradiction. Underneath all of his great achievements, underneath all of his beautiful prayers, underneath his requests for wisdom, we find this dark undercurrent happening inside of Solomon's life. And one of those things is that his building projects, all of these wonderful things that he built and some things that we can still see in archaeological digs today and admire, they were made possible by forced Labor. First Kings five says this: King Solomon called up a work gang of thirty thousand workers from all of Israel. The word that's translated "their work gang" first appears in Exodus chapter one, as Pharaoh forced Israel into work gangs that would last. For hundreds of years. The same word is used now to describe Solomon and the way that he leads. Chapter 9 suggests well, he's just doing this to non Israelites, to the Amorites and to the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Gazumtites and the Stalagmites and the Stalactites and whoever else along the way. But this passage suggests no, it's probably them. It's probably those who are living in the land who are not Israel. And it's his fellow Israelites in order to get that many. It's likely both. And it's disproportionately directed against those Yankees in the north. So Jeroboam, being the captain of the Yankees, decides to come and ask the new king to lighten the load. It's consistent, actually, with God's expectations for the king. Deuteronomy chapter 17 tells the king, "Don't be overbearing to your fellow Israelites." It's just pretty good advice. If you're a boss, if you oversee people, if you're a parent, if you have people that are, you know, have to do what you say at different points in time, it's a good idea to not be overbearing. And so Jeroboam comes, is like, "Could you just stop that part?" Jeroboam here at this point sounds a lot like Moses coming to Pharaoh. We'll learn next week that he's not. He might sound a lot like Moses, but he is going to lead his own tribes into a different kind of bondage. But he sounds like Moses here, and Solomon sounds like Pharaoh, the king whose yoke is heavy the king whose burden is unbearable. And now we see Rehoboam stepping into this moment of his own leadership. The sins of his father are being visited upon him. And the question is, what kind of king will Rehoboam be? How will he rule? And Rehoboam, for one wise moment in this passage, asked for a timeout. (laughs) He's like, Can I just have a few days to think about this? And then he wisely goes to the elders who served his father. And he goes to the elders and he's like, guys, what should I do? And the elders say this to them, if you will be a servant to this people by answering them and speaking good words today, they replied, then they will be your servants forever. Just like they promised you. And then we get a but. But Rehoboam ignored the advice of the elders. He ignored the advice the elders gave him. And instead, he sought the counsel of the young advisors who had grown up with him and now served him. Jump down to verse 10. Here's these wise guys' remarks. The young people who had grown up with him said to them this, this people said this to you? Your father made our workload heavy, lighten it for us? What audacity. This is what you should say to them. My baby finger is thicker than my father's entire waist. So if my father made your workload heavy, I'll make it even heavier. If my father disciplined you with whips, I'll do it with scorpions. Clearly, these are emotionally healthy friends. <laughs> we have two groups right away here in the text. Rebom's in this place that he doesn't know what to do, and he goes through two different groups, and they say two different things. There's the group that are referred to as the elders who served his father, and the other group, the young advisors who grew up with him. And Hebrew, like in English, words can carry multiple meanings. And so words that apply to someone's age can also apply to someone's station. Words that can refer to how old someone is can also be used to refer to how mature or how wise someone is. In Hebrew, there is a word for childs. Then there is a word for young person, where we would say maybe a teenager or a young adult. Then there is a word for an adult, for a man and for a woman. And then there is another word for elder. Elder is referring to someone's age and hopefully also referring to someone who is wise. The hope is that they are the same thing, but we know that's not always the case. It's the hope. And we also know that someone can be young in age, but recognized as a leader, can carry about wisdom on side of them, can function in an elder-like sort of way. But the vision and the invitation of the scriptures is that as all of us grow in age, we also grow in wisdom, that we can be referred to affectionately as elders within our community. But what we're noticing around our world today is that wise elders are increasingly missing from our lives. Some of that is because our culture tends to sideline those who are older. We have an obsession with youth and with youthfulness. And so many of you have experienced this. You felt pushed to the side, side sidelined in some way because your hair started to turn gray. And rather than being respected for the wisdom that you had, Pushed to the side. But others we see are stepping over to the sidelines. Conversations where I'll have with people of going, you know, I used to do this and I used to that, I used to volunteer and I used to lead and all of those things, but now it's somebody else's turn. I'm just going to golf. And then others are sliding away. Oftentimes those conversations, they're sliding out of a love for Jesus and obsession with orthodoxy. Into an obsession with controversy and whatever may be sort of going on in a life of fear and anxiety rather than faithfulness. But if you're here in this room and you're 50, 60, 70, 80, infinity and beyond, I just want to say as your pastor and as a representative of this church that we need you. Like we so desperately need you. You matter here. Your presence matters to us. Your service matters to us. Your experience matters to us. Your wisdom matters to us. We need you to finish well. We need you to model faithfulness. We need you to show us what it means to trust in the Lord and to do good, to live in the land and farm faithfulness in the middle of all of the challenges of life. We need you to show us how to grow old and grow wise. We need you to show us how to live well and die faithfully. We need you to show us what it means to stay in the game. We need you to teach us how to pray. We need you to show us what it means to worship in the midst of life's most awful moments. We need you to show us what it means to grow in love over the course of a lifetime. We need you to become spiritual moms and dads and spiritual grandparents among us. And one of my great joys in being able to see all the life of the church that I get to see is when all of these things take place. I got to see a picture this week of a little kid who was going to Grandparents Day at their school and grandparents didn't live here. And so one of our congregants went to Grandparents Day with them. I get to see moments this morning. Yeah, this is like what family does, right? It's like, I'll be there, I'll go. I got to see moments today where one generation is training another generation on a team. This is how we do these kinds of things. We get to hear stories of meal groups sometimes of people in their 20s meeting with people in their 80s, people in their 30s meeting with people in their 70s and to hear the stories of how intergenerational life with God causes us to flourish, it is a beauty of the body of Christ that we are meant to be together, <laughs> all of us, because we need one another. <laughs> Rabom gets this for a second. He goes to the elders, and they say to him, your job's to serve you, dummy. And he says, if you serve them well, they'll serve you well, but you're the king. You have to go first. It's consistent, what we read earlier, that kings are supposed to give and not take. The kings are supposed to serve and lead people in righteousness and justice. And so they give him godly advice. Godly guidance aligns with God's word and God's ways. They're they're looking back. What does the text say and how does God be? Like, what is his character? This is what you should do. Godly guidance will always align with God's word and God's ways. So when you trying to discern the voices, one of the things we consider is, what do the scriptures say? And what does Jesus model for us? Their advice that the elders get to Rehoboam is true for all of us who are disciples of Jesus. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life away. The New Testament reading from today was that don't use your freedom, your power, your position, your privilege, whatever you want to fill in the gap with. Don't use that to just do whatever you want, but serve one another through love. The way of Jesus always leads us into service, not into self-indulgence. So good and godly advice shows us the way of Jesus, which calls us into service, not into self-indulgence. That doesn't mean, again, service at the expense of self-care. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about here. There are times that you need to rest. There are times that you need a break. When you're sick, you need to stay home. Okay, not those things. But there's a difference between a life that is oriented toward service and a life that is oriented toward self-indulgence. But Rehoboam had grown accustomed to a standard of living that was built on the backs of others. He was raised in splendor. Remember what was said about his father's kingdom? Silver was as common as stones. This is what he was accustomed to. And so Rehoboam disregarded the advice of the others and he thought, I need to get a second opinion here. A second opinion is really good unless what we're really just looking for is a shared opinion. Shared opinions are not necessarily sacred ones. Too often what we're looking for and going from this group to this group to this group is we're not trying to discern the voice of God. We're just trying to have someone tell us that what we want to do is really okay. We're looking for some sort of agreement or approval. We're looking for justification. We're looking for something other than the voice of God. But godly guides will ask us really difficult questions. And not just tell us, well, what do you want to do? Then I think you should do that. But will ask us about the word of God and the way of God and the spirit of God and the people of God. But it goes to these young advisors. Now, we imagine when we read that text that these are probably young men in their 20s or 30s. But the original language actually says this. It says, the children who grew up with him doesn't call that, doesn't use the word for young men. It says, Rehoboam goes to the children who grew up with him. Rehoboam's in his 40s at this point. So likely are his friends. They're not described as elders. They're not described as adults. They're not described as young people. They're described as children. They've grown in years, but not in wisdom. They have remained so immature that the text will refer to them as 40-year-old kids and not just those who are young at heart unfortunately this is becoming all too common in our culture as well if you're here and you're in your 20s and 30s and 40s maybe pushing 50 or you're like I don't want to consider myself in that elder group or like I want to consider myself in this other group I just want to say that we need you too please don't check out you matter Your presence matters. Your service matters. We are inviting you and we need you. We need one another to trust in the Lord and to do good, to live in the land and to farm faithfulness. Lean into this place. Lean into the relationships. Heal. Find counselors and directors and pastors and others who can come along and help you. Find godly guides who can help you to grow in grace and grow in love. Rehoboam doesn't find this, these people. Instead, Rehoboam goes to his palace frat, frat bros and he tells them to double down. Oh, bro, you just got to double down on those guys. Don't, don't take anything from them. It's likely that if they grew up with him, they also benefited from Solomon's policies, that they, they would benefit even more from Rehoboam continuing in that way that they've grown accustomed to a life of luxury as well. But what we learn about godly guidance here is godly guidance is not governed by personal gain. It doesn't mean that godly guidance will never result in personal gain. It should result in personal flourishing for sure. But it does mean that that personal gain is not the primary goal of godly guidance. The primary goal of godly guidance is faithfulness, not personal gain. But for Rehoboam, he hears the words of his buddies and he's like, you know what? I'm gonna go with the way of the whip rather than the way of God. And so what ends up happening, 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 16, when all Israel saw that the king wouldn't listen to them, the people answered the king and said, why should we care about David? Why should we care about your grandfather and your grandfather's throne? We have no stake in Jesse's son. Go back to your homes, Israel, you better look after your own house now, David. And then the Israelites went back to their homes, and Rehoboam ruled only over the Israelites who lived in the cities of Judah. Rehoboam's failure to listen to the elders leads to a division in the kingdom. The north secedes at this moment. They're breaking away. They're like, we're done with you. We're going home and we're doing our own thing. And Rehoboam is now faced with a crisis. Oh no, the 10 tribes in the north are all leaving. What should I do? And Rehoboam's response is to send a man named Adoram. Who is that guy? Well, he happens to be the secretary of Solomon's forced labor force. The secretary of forced labor. That's the guy that we should send in this moment. But Rehoboam's keeping his word. He says, I'm going to make this heavier. So I'm going to send my guy to go to the north and draft more workers. His head was clearly as hard as his heart. And it costs Adoram his life. He stoned it up. Rehoboam then realizes, I better get out of here. He leaves Shechem and he goes back to Jerusalem and he says, I know what I'll do this time. I'll assemble my army. The forced labor secretary didn't work, so I'm going to send my five-star generals. And he's in this plan until a prophet intervenes and Rehoboam finally listens and he stops. But the damage is already done. Because he didn't listen on the front end. The unity of God's people is broken. The family is fractured. The 10 tribes in the north from this point on will be forever known as Israel. And Judah and Benjamin in the south will be forever known as Judah. And because of that, this whole fracture happens. And we find it difficult to read the rest of the Old Testament. Because we're like, who are we talking about at this point in time? But we learn in this passage is that godly guidance aims to maintain the unity of God's people. That it aims to maintain the unity of God's people. We know that's not always possible. Paul says, to the best of our ability, let's live at peace with one another. He says, in another place, make every effort to preserve, to preserve the unity of the spirit. But friends, I think this is the forgotten, neglected, or de-emphasized aspect of our faith. That our faith is Communal. <laughs> faith was never meant to be lived alone. We live in a hyper-individualized culture where we privatize everything, including our life with God. But to be a follower of Jesus is to participate in the divine life of God and the common life of the church to be a follower of Jesus is to be reconciled to the triune God and to be united with family to everyone who's sitting next to you and across from you and in the other section than you are. It's to be made brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, godly guidance has that in mind. How do we preserve the unity? of the spirits among us. One last verse to look at, and then we're gonna, we're gonna jump back up there to verse 15, because there's a surprising passage here in the middle of this that we sometimes don't know what to do with, and it says this, verse 15, the king didn't listen to the people. Why? Why didn't he listen? We've seen all of this. Well, clearly he's following the wrong advice. He's being like stubborn and fool-headed and so many other things that we could use. But you know, I'm trying to use decent language because there's kids in the room. Uh, it's like, why didn't he listen? But then we read this, because this turn of the events came from the Lord. Like, wait, Jason, what do we do with that? So that he might keep the promise he delivered through Ahijah from Shiloh concerning Jeroboam the bot son, you know that prophecy that Solomon's kingdom would be divided and Jeroboam would become king. This passage suggests that the undoing of the United Kingdom is God's doing, not Rehoboam's. That it's the result of God's will rather than Rehoboam's foolishness. It places this whole situation under God's providence the hidden ways in which God shapes history for his own purposes, even in the midst of whatever decisions that we're making. And this, of course, is an area of significant debate throughout church history. What is the relationship between God's will and ours? Between God's predetermined plans and our free will? It depends upon where you fall in that Perspective. If you come from a Calvin Reformed tradition, we're going to hit the notes of sovereignty, of providence, of of God's kingdom in that way. And if you come from a Wesleyan Arminian background like me, then we're hitting the 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 notes of free will and the way in which God empowers people to make decisions in the world. And if you come from Catholic or Orthodox traditions, you're hitting another key that says, well, it's all the mystery of where God's will meets our world when you hit all three of them together, you hear a beautiful chord that ties them all together. This is no matter where you place the emphasis, the conversation always centers on the work of Jesus. That we're trusting the work of God in and through the person of Jesus. Paul puts it this way. He says, God revealed the hidden design to us, which according to his good will and the plan, the purposes that he intended to accomplish through his son. This is what God has planned to do and always planned to do and is doing and will do With the climax of all times. He'll bring all things together in Christ. The things in heaven along with the things on earth. That God will bring all things together. He will, in one language, He will recapitulate everything. He will retell every story. He will bind up everything that's been broken. He will heal everything that has been wounded. He will reunite everything that has been torn apart. He will wipe away every tear from our eye. He will forgive every act of foolishness. He will in His own way through His Son bring all things together and carry about His good purposes which is to bring us back into union with God and with one another. And so no matter where we hit that Cord, what we hear is Jesus. Jesus. said, so godly guidance will always lead us back to Him. Godly guidance will always lead us back to Jesus, the Jesus who extends forgiveness to us in the middle of our own foolishness. Jesus who said that when we're sitting in moments, we're like, you know what, Jason, my life has looked more like Rehoboam's than I would care to admit. I have followed the wrong voices. I have heeded the wrong advice. I have gone into places and been led into moments that I'm ashamed to talk about. I can't even bring to bear. I don't want to remember it, much less share it. I just want to keep that part of my life hidden. It points back to Jesus who says, I've come to forgive all things, to reconcile all things, to redeem all things, to restore all things This is who Jesus is, the one who comes into all of our mess and continues to work out God's good and gracious plans in the middle of it. Where do we put the emphasis? I don't know. I know where I do, but at the end of the day, I keep coming back to, but the plan is Jesus. God planned for the climax of all things to bring all things together in Jesus. And so as we come to the table today, We come to the table praying a prayer of confession, recognizing how many times that we have followed outside of the ways of God. That as we look at our life, even from last Sunday, that rather than following the way of God and delighting in his will, we went our own way. We listened to other voices, and we found that we made a mess of our, our lives. And we come back and we say, what I really need right now is the forgiveness of Jesus, and I need the empowering of the Spirit, to teach me and show me and to help me to live a different way. So as we come to the table in prayer, this prayer, maybe today you're here and you're like, I, I, that's me. <laughs> like There's been folly and I'm just coming back to Jesus. You're welcome here. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I, I, that's been my whole life and I've never even thought about Jesus. You're welcome here and you're welcome to say, you know what, I, I'm ready to stop living in that way and following those voices, but instead I want to learn the way of Jesus. you are going to join us in this prayer to confess your sin, place your trust in him and begin following him with the rest of us. Come and join us today at the table where godly good advice will always bring us back to Jesus.
4: And this is Jesus' table. The cross is a display of God's wisdom. The table is where we're unified again. As Jason was saying, all who believe in Jesus as the true king of the world are welcome to receive today, regardless of your church background or affiliation. If that doesn't describe you, thank you for coming. Thanks for showing up here for the first time or showing up again. We're honored that you're here. We encourage you, keep coming back. Keep asking questions about Jesus. But if you are ready to begin following Jesus, we invite you to join with us as we confess our sin and ask for forgiveness and trust him for salvation. The words will come up on the screen. Let's pray these together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Beloved, it is my joy this morning to announce good news to you. Words that are true, not because I say them, but because of what God has done. So would you open up your hands and receive again this mercy of God. That Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners and that this proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. The peace of the Lord be with you as those who have been raised to a new life in Jesus, would you stand together and greet those around you, those you've been reconciled to in the faith as brothers and sisters and share this peace with them. It is good to be a reconciled family together. Beloved, Jesus is here. So lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right, all over this room, we praise you, we thank you for uniting us back in you. It is a good and joyful thing to give thanks to you, Father Almighty. You formed us in your image. You breathed your life into us. When our love failed, your love remained steadfast. When we were unfaithful, you sent your son to be faithful on our behalf. We see that at the table, that on the night that Jesus was handed over to suffering and death, he took bread and when he had blessed it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper he took the cup of wine and when he had given thanks he gave it to them and said, drink this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of your mighty acts in Jesus Christ we proclaim together this mystery of our faith. That Christ has died, that Christ is risen and that Christ will come again. This table is a place of remembrance in a place of encounter so let's sing together a prayer and ask the holy spirit to come and meet us now I want to invite the servers up now. These are the gifts of God given for us, the people of God. Thanks, Wilbur's. Receive them in remembrance that Jesus has died for you and feed on Him now in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. This is your first time here. You can watch the the flow that we have for communion with the people around you, or you can scan the QR code that's on the screen. If you are unable to come forward, please just ask someone around you to get the elements for you and bring them back to you. Let us worship in response now and encounter the Lord here unifying us again at the table.
1: Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Your tender is calling us home. He waits.
2: Of kindness he lavished on us.
1: His blood for our freedom, his life for our loss. We stood neath the dead, we could never.
4: God is good, amen. Thank you, Jesus, for unifying us. If there's something that you're still carrying in this space that we can carry with you in prayer, The prayer and ministry team will be up front for as long as you need. And I want to also highlight an invitation to all of us to be part of a New Life worship recording this coming Wednesday night, 6.30 p.m. up at New Life North. It's first Wednesday, but we're recording a new album, out of which five or six of the songs were actually written by Micah Massey here, y'all. So please come experience that night of worship with us. It'll go on the recording. And now we get to send you with a blessing. Would you open up your hands? that as you go, as we go out into the world, a world desperately needing the light of Christ and the love of Christ and the wisdom of Christ, I pray and I bless you now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to go being filled with his spirit to carry that presence of God into all of the places that need it so desperately this week. And I pray a blessing in your life, whether it's in a work situation whether it's in a relationship, whether it's your parenting or your friendships, whatever it would be, that you need the wisdom of God, that you would be filled with his wisdom. Wisdom that is godly, wisdom that is for the sake and the good of others, wisdom that glorifies him, that you would be filled, that your mind and your hearts would be illuminated to carry the light into the world. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn to you and grant you peace in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You are sent, y'all. Stay salty, shine brightly. We'll see you around town and next week.